American History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation, the Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It is Monday, February 21st, 2022, and we are live. So the call-in number is 313-778-7600, 313-778-7600 is the call-in number if you have a question or comment. Okay, so today is the 50th, 57th anniversary of the assassination of uh, Malcolm X. And there have been a lot of articles uh, written today. I was looking at some different articles and some uh, some video clips, things of that nature uh, today. So we're going to uh, discuss this a little bit in the first uh, segment of the show. And there was a piece on uh, democracy now uh, that I saw today. Um, Yasa Shabazz, uh, one of the daughters of uh, Malcolm X and Dr. Betty Shabazz, was interviewed along with Benjamin Crump, attorney Benjamin Crump. And um, they, uh, the, the family of Malcolm X wants a uh, full investigation into uh, exactly who killed uh, Malcolm X, all right? And uh, Attorney Benjamin Crump is representing the family. So we're going to talk about that uh, a little bit on today's show. And you know that uh, we talked about this um, back uh, in November of 2021 when it when the news came out that uh, the two men who uh, for decades had been um, accused of, had been accused of assassinating Malcolm and they went to prison, okay, uh, when we got the news that they were going to be exonerated. And New York Times had a big article on this. This is dealing with Khalil Islam and Muhammad Aziz. Um, two men let me pull this up right here. Two men convicted in the uh, killing of Malcolm X will be exonerated after decades. So this was shocking news when we got it. Uh, and there, and it was always, there was always a doubt that these men uh, were actually the involved in killing Malcolm X. But when Cy Vance's office um, district attorney there in uh, Manhattan. When Cy Vance's office opened the case and did the investigation, um, they turned up evidence that exculpatory evidence was withheld in their uh, trials. Okay. So we're going to talk about this a uh, little bit on today's show. You know, it's a good article from New York Times. Um, on this and then also some good articles from the Washington Post as well as Huffington Post uh, also. All right. And then uh, on Sunday's show, I did not get a chance to get to um, this story. You know, we talked about the story out of Indiana, uh, Spronica Elementary School, and the counselor sent home um, the counselor sent home a, a permission slip, and it's regarding a Black History Month 
um, lesson, Black History Month lessons. And it gave the parents the option to opt out of the lesson. So we talked about this on Sunday show and also talked about it Friday when I was on Roller Martin and Filter. There was uh, another story that we really, really didn't get a chance to get to on Sunday show. So we were talking about Kim Potter getting only two years for killing uh, Dante Wright. We talked about Brian Flores um, as well. Uh, getting a uh, assistant coaching position with the Pittsburgh Steelers. But this article here from the New York Times, we're going to talk about today. And there was a segment from the readout with Joanne Reed. I was going to play on yesterday's show, but did not get a chance to um, get to either. Teachers tackle Black History Month under new restrictions. Teachers tackle Black History Month under new restrictions. And this deals with the anti-critical race theory laws that have been passed so far in 14 states. And the type of um, stress that is causing and confusion is causing for uh, many teachers. In states where laws now limit classroom discussions of race and discrimination, many teachers are watching what they say and are more anxious about their jobs. Many teachers are watching what they say and are more anxious about their job. Okay. So we're going to talk about this. And there was a good uh, segment from the readout with Joanne Reed that deals with, um, that deals with these uh, anti-critical race theory laws. Um, the G let's see, what's the name of this clip here? Uh, GOP continues to stoke rage, racialized cultural anxiety among whites for political gain. All right, it was a segment from uh, February 16th, but I did not get a chance to get to that. Okay, so on the African History Network show, we focus on educating, empowering, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct wrong behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself, what you've been taught about yourself. It's based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. All right. Uh, be sure to register for the online classes I teach on Saturdays and Sundays. Uh, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, where they didn't teach you at school. And uh, from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1865 to 1968. Also want to remind you, I'll be on a panel discussion on Wednesday, February 23rd. Uh, that's uh, organized by um, the uh, by uh, Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated, uh, the uh, Michigan State Organization Social Action Committee of Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated. Wednesday, February 23rd, 2022, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We have the information on our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. This is a uh, a webinar. It's a virtual uh, uh, panel dealing with reparations. We have the link on our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, where you can register for it. It's free to attend uh, February, Wednesday, February 23rd, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Okay. This is our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. All right. Uh, I want to jump into this first story. We're coming up here on a break. Also, we'll talk about um, the home in Inkster, Michigan, where Malcolm X uh, used to live with his brother Wilford. Um, 
back in the 1950s, uh, that is that gets listed on the National Register of Historic Places also. Okay, we'll talk about that as well. Now, uh, we're coming up here on a break. Uh, you listen to the African History Network show right here on 9, 10 a.m. Superstation, the Future Radio. Calling numbers 313-778-7600. 313-778-7600. Here's the call-in number if you have a question or comment. We'll be back in a few minutes. Mental health and well-being have long been a taboo subject in the so-called African-American community. So I enlisted the help of mental health experts, thought leaders, and activists to help kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and heal from post-traumatic slave syndrome. We experience trauma a lot of times um, on a subconscious level. So sometimes something happens to us and we know that it's traumatizing, but we don't really recognize the extent of the trauma. We are emotionally constipated and emotionally obese because again, all the things that we experienced in childhood, we suffocated and we stored in our body. It's a time to kill and it's a time to heal. We've been haunted by the ghost of Willie Lynch and his doctrine of self-refueling trauma for too long. It's time for Willie to die. Die, Willie. It stops for the ghost LOXD block. It's time to kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and get out the matrix. Check out my man Ron Life Speaks at diewillie.com. Welcome back to the African History. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 9, 10 a.m. Superstation. Future Radio. I'm your host, Brother Michael M. Hotep. It is Monday, February 21st, 2022, 57th uh, commemoration, 57th anniversary of the assassination of Malcolm X, the Audubon Ballroom, February 21st, 1965. We're going to clip number one, Shakita. Okay, so today on uh, Democracy Now!, they um, interviewed uh, Yasa Shabazz, and also Benjamin Crump. Uh, and they're calling for the family of Malcolm X. It, it, we know Ayas is one of Malcolm and Dr. Betty Shabazz's daughters. Um, the family of Malcolm X is calling for a, actually a, a congressional uh, investigation into Malcolm's assassination to get to the bottom of who actually killed Malcolm X? What was behind his assassination? They, to uh, get to it once and for all. We know that um, last year, we know that we got the uh, November of 2021. We know we got the uh, breaking news that the two men convicted of killing Malcolm X would be exonerated after decades. Okay, Khalil Islam and Muhammad Aziz. The 1966 convictions of the two men are expected to be thrown out. They were thrown out after a lengthy investigation validating long-held doubts about who killed the civil rights leader, Malcolm X. Two of the men found guilty of the assassination of Malcolm X are expected to have their convictions thrown out on Thursday. The Manhattan District Attorney and lawyers for the two men said rewriting the official history of one of the most notorious murders of the civil rights era for decades historians cast doubt for decades historians have cast doubt on the case against the two men muhammad aziz and khalil islam who each spent more than 20 years in prison 
Their exoneration represents a remarkable acknowledgement of grave errors made in a case of towering importance. The 1965 murder of one of America's most influential black leaders. Okay, uh, let's go to uh, clip number one, Shakita from uh, Democracy Now. Um, it's on YouTube. This is Democracy Now! I'm Amy Goodman. It was 57 years ago today, February 21st, 1965, when Malcolm X was assassinated on the stage at the Audubon Ballroom in New York City, not far from where we are. Malcolm's family is now calling for a federal probe into his murder in November. A New York judge exonerated two men who spent decades in prison after being wrongfully convicted in the assassination. 83-year-old Mohammed Aziz and Khalil Islam, who died in 2009. This came after the Manhattan District Attorney's Office and the Innocence Project conducted a nearly two-year investigation that uncovered key evidence, which was, which was withheld at the trial of the two men. Speaking in November, then-Manhattan District Attorney Cy Vance apologized in court to Aziz and the family of Islam. Vance also called out former FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover. We have obtained dozens and dozens of reports from the FBI and the NYPD's Bureau of Special Services and Investigations. These records include FBI reports of witnesses who failed to identify Mr. Islam and the implicating other subjects and suspects. And significantly, we now have reports revealing that on orders from Director J. Edgar Hoover himself, the FBI ordered multiple witnesses not to tell police or prosecutors that they were, in fact, FBI informants. Many of those documents were exculpatory. None of them were disclosed to the defense. That's former Manhattan DA, Cy Vance. He was muffled because he was wearing a mask. Mohammed Aziz, who was jailed for almost two decades, was recently interviewed by ABC News. People knew why you were there, that you were one of the men yeah. convicted of killing Malcolm. Were there threats because of that? To me? No. Yes, no. The people know I didn't do it. Nobody ever thought I did it. Just like people. Our people never thought I did it. We're joined now by Ilyasa Shabazz, one of Malcolm X's six daughters, professor at John Jay College of Criminal Justice in New York City, community organizer, motivational speaker, activist, and award-winning author of many books. Still with us, civil rights attorney Ben Crump, who is working with Malcolm X's family. Um, Ilyasa, first I want to say condolences on the recent death of your sister. Um, your family has gone through so much pain over the years, and now you're calling for a federal probe into your dad's assassination. Um, it's 57 years ago today. Talk about what you want to see. Well, you used the great word, animus. Um, we do want a federal uh, probe. You know, my father exposed police brutality across America to the world in the late 50s and 60s. And, you know, I think that enough is enough. We want to know who killed our father, who ordered the assassination, and, um, and we want to set the record straight. And the significance of these two men 
um, Muhammad Abdulaziz, who is still alive, and Khalil Islam, who died years ago, both serving decades in prison, falsely convicted of the assassination of your father. That's right. Um, <laughs> you know, again, we want to know who killed our father, and we want to um, make sure that it is properly recorded in history. So, Ben Crump, talk specifically about what you want Congress to do. Well, as Eliasa said, we want Congress to help document the truth, um, just as they did with the JFK Commission, the MLK Commission, and the RFK Commission. We want them to have a congressional panel empowered to do an investigation, a complete investigation, and tell who was responsible for planning the conspiracy to assassinate Malcolm X. We understand that based on these recent exonerations that you had not only the NYPD uh, Bureau of Special uh, investigations involved, but you also had with NYPD bossy the FBI involved to the very top, uh, to the FBI director J. Edgar Hoover. Finally, the family deserves the truth of who killed their father. The names need to be named, and the American society and the world deserve the truth as well. And we are prepared, Attorney Ray Hamlin and our legal team, to go through every legal uh, avenue possible to get to the truth for Malcolm X's family and to finally give them some measure of justice. Before we end, I want to get okay. your comments right on there. Malcolm X. Thank you. Okay, so that's from Democracy Now! Uh, from uh, today. And... If we look at it's a couple of quick things we want to look at here. New York Times highlights from the push to exonerate uh, two men and Malcolm X's killing. Um, okay, so this is okay. Uh, here's uh, Cyrus R. Vance, who was the Manhattan uh, district attorney, and he retired. Uh, a motion to vacate convictions finds the crucial finds that crucial evidence was with now. It's um, it's important to have this congressional uh, hearing, as as uh, ben, Benjamin Crump uh, just said. They did it for uh, the assassination of JFK. They did it for uh, his brother, brother Bobby Kennedy. And this is one of the things that Congress does is oversight. OK, the Department of Justice, they have a role also. But Congress uh, does oversight and Congress does investigations now. I, I want to. He mentioned Jager, who we're going to come back to this here in just a second. I want to pull this one up also here. Um, so when all this news broke in uh, November 21, we talked about this here on this show because we actually do a real substance here. Huffington Post had this article. HuffingtonPost.com had this article from uh, they picked up from uh, the Associated Press, November 18th, 2021. Hoover hid that some witnesses in Malcolm X assassination trial were FBI informants. J. Edgar Hoover, okay, director of the FBI. Hoover hid that some witnesses 
and Malcolm X assassination, Malcolm X assassination trial with, with FBI informants. A Manhattan judge exonerated two men convicted of killing uh, the revolutionary, revolutionary leader after decades of doubt about who was responsible for his 1965 death. More than, uh, more than half a, a century after the assassination of Malcolm X, two of his convicted killers were exonerated Thursday after decades of doubt. Uh, I'm going to go to this here. Okay. So, uh, if we scroll down here, they talk about, um, evidence withheld. The recent investigation found, uh, recent investigation found information in FBI files about witnesses who could not identify, it, uh, um, Khalil Islam and implicated other suspects. Manhattan District Attorney Cyrus R. Vance Jr. told the court, he was the district attorney at the time, he was the one who opened up this investigation into the case after the documentary came out of Who Killed Malcolm X on Netflix, all right? Now the file showed that the late FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover ordered agents to tell witnesses not to reveal that they were informants when talking with police and prosecutors, uh, Manhattan District Attorney Cyrus R. Vance said, quote, I apologize for uh, what were, I apologize for what were serious, unacceptable violations of law and the public trust. There is one ultimate conclusion. Uh, Mr. Aziz and Mr. Islam were wrongfully convicted of this crime, end quote. Okay, we're coming up uh, here on a break. We'll continue this on the other side of the break. And then we'll talk about um, how Black History Month is challenging, is very challenging this month, uh, uh, this uh, this time around, because 14 states have passed anti-critical race theory laws and teachers are tackling Black History Month under new restrictions. Teachers are tackling Black History Month under new restrictions. Listen to the After History Network show on Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. The Business Scaling Challenge is a seven-day online event that is taking place the week of March 13th through March 19th, 2022. This challenge will guide a group of business owners through scaling their businesses. Business owner Ronnie Sumler is hosting the Business Scaling Challenge in remembrance and honor of her father, the late civil rights activist Rodney Sumler. He helped a lot of African-American-owned businesses and local community leaders participate in politics. However, when he passed away, all of his ventures died with him. This inspired his daughter, Ronnie Sumler, to help community business owners preserve their businesses. Her business, Digital Dandelions, offers business Bibles to record business processes and procedures. Their business Bibles are their branded run-of-show business manuals that have everything you need to run your business in one place. Their business scaling kit is the first step in creating a business Bible. It includes everything needed to grow your business in one place. Join the Business Scaling Challenge Facebook group for more information and good luck in scaling your business. 
STEM Forward, helping our community find their place in the emerging fields of science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Join us for our monthly live stream on our website, stemforwardedu.org. Watch, subscribe, share. Also join our mailing list to stay up to date with STEM resources and opportunities. STEM Forward, the future is now. Watch, subscribe, share. Network show we deal with current events in history and politics, education, economic empowerment, entrepreneurship, relationships, love, sex, health issues, and much, much more. Unfortunately, many people confuse what racism is. Racism is a power structure. It was laws and policies that put us in this predicament. It's going to be laws and policies that take us out. When you control the radius of a man or woman's thoughts, you control the compass of his or her actions because the mind can't do or teach what it doesn't know. We have it all on 910 AM Superstation. <laughs> 910, the Superstation, Detroit's only African-American talk radio. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM Superstation, the future radio. All right. Uh, be sure to visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can register for the online history classes I teach on Saturdays and Sundays. On Saturdays, it's uh, ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa. Kemet won the original names for Egypt, ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa. Understand the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. We deal with thousands of years of history and what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. We also deal with the African presence in the Americas dating back tens of thousands of years ago, even before Native Americans came into existence. So I do the class live uh, Saturdays, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. All the sessions are archived and recorded. You can go back and watch it anytime. The class is on sale $80, regularly $130. As soon as you register, you can watch the class. We just did this past weekend on Sundays I teach from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement of Black Power 1865 to 1968 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. also next class is Sunday February 27th uh, we have a bundle pack you can register for both classes for uh, only $120 the classes are $130 each and uh, once you register for the class you can watch it as much as you want to even a year from now you can go back and watch the entire course okay so you should have full access to it all right, now, uh, let's see, Tuesday morning, I'm speaking for Tech Town, and they sent me the information. Now, we're going to get it up on our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Uh, they said the flyer's in here somewhere, uh, so I guess it is. But uh, this is dealing with uh, preparing uh, black-owned businesses for success, preparing black-owned businesses for, for success. This is taking place uh, Tuesday, February 22nd. 10 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. It's all virtual, so you can watch from anywhere. It's free to attend. Uh, celebrate Black History Month. Uh, new conference, February 22nd. We'll prepare uh, Black-owned businesses for success. Now, Maggie Anderson, who wrote the book, uh, Our Black Year, I think it was Our, Our Black Year. Maggie Anderson, she's the keynote speaker. Uh, preparing, uh, so this is Tech Town Detroit. And our partners present a virtual business conference celebra celebrating Black History Month, preparing Black-owned businesses for success. Tuesday, February 22nd, 10 a.m. to 2.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We'll get the information on our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Also at TechTownDetroit.org, uh, TechTownDetroit.org. They should have the information there as well, okay? All right, we're going to post a link here on the thread of our broadcast here and we'll put it on the homepage of africanhistorynetwork.com uh, also okay let's go back to uh the story we're, we're going to clip two here in just a second shakita all right 
this other article that I wanted to uh, get to is okay. It was okay. Yeah, we did that one from um, New York Times highlights. Uh, this was the day that the two men were exonerated. Highlights from the push to exonerate two men in Malcolm X's killing. Okay, November eighteenth, twenty twenty-one, New York Times. All right, so check that out. Also, motion to vacate convictions finds that crucial evidence was withheld. Um, and let's see here, these defendants. The motion includes a host of new witnesses. The motion includes a host of new findings. It mentions. An interview with a new witness uh, with the initials J.M. conducted only days after the reinvestigation began. J.M. said he was answering the telephone at the Nation of Islam's Harlem Mosque the day of the assassination and that his account backed up the alibi of Mr. Muhammad Aziz, uh, who said he was not involved in in the killing of Malcolm X. J.M. recalled receiving a phone call from Aziz at around 3 p.m. on February 21st informing him that uh, Muhammad Aziz had just heard Malcolm X had been shot, the motion says. J.M. then hung up and went to get the mosque's captain. And together, the two men called Muhammad Aziz back at his home. J, quote, J.M. reached Muhammad Aziz at home and told him the captain would speak to him. The, uh, end quote, the motion says, a simple se- sentence that lends credence to Muhammad Aziz's story that he was at home at 3 p.m. when Malcolm X was shot. Okay, this was left out of the trials. This was left, this was information that was suppressed. A troll of documents from law enforcement, the motion details more than a dozen reports compiled by the FBI and the NYPD that were not disclosed to the defense, to the defense of, of the of the men accused of assassinating Malcolm X, several of which point toward the men's innocence. The FBI, the FBI reports contain the accounts of several witnesses who describe a gunman who do not resemble the two men, as well as details about agency informants who were present in the Washington Heights ballroom where Malcolm X was killed. Okay. All right. Um, okay, and also uh, Detective Gene Roberts as well. The police department documents include descriptions of undercover detectives having been present in the ballroom, at least one of whom was there at the time of the murder. The report may have been referring to Detective Gene Roberts, an undercover officer who it later came out was working as a member of Malcolm X's security detail. He was African-American also. Detective Gene Roberts. All right. So check out these articles here from um, Washington Post and New York Times and Huffington Post and uh, Democracy Now! as well. Okay. All right. I want to go to uh, this next story here. We just talked about this very briefly on yesterday's show. We're going to clip two, Shakita, from uh, the readout here in just a second. So... African American History Month, Black History Month this year is um, causing anxiety for many teachers because of laws that have been passed in the state legislatures. 14 states have passed laws limiting how race and discrimination can be taught in schools. You have uh, a total of 35 states 
that are proposing some type of uh, some type of restrictions on uh, what can be taught also. All right. Now, uh, in states where laws now limit classroom discussions about race and discrimination, many teachers are watching what they say and are more anxious about the jobs. Now, this is a piece from uh, about their jobs. This is a, a article from February 12, 2022 from uh, the New York Times. And it deals with different uh, teachers in different states. They talk about New Hampshire, a Spanish teacher uh, in New Hampshire took down a Black Lives Matter sign in her classroom in Lubbock, Texas. A social studies teacher felt that candid political discussions with students were becoming, uh, quote unquote, kind of like a tightrope. And in Oklahoma City, a history teacher uh, began to think twice about using the word white to describe people who who defended slavery. In February, 2022, public school teachers, well, in February, public school teachers traditionally traditionally shaped lessons around Black History Month, but this year, educators in several states are handling their classes a bit more gingerly. Republican-led legislatures in several states have passed laws uh, passed laws later, 2021, to ban or limit schools from teaching that racism is infused in American institutions. And while students in those states are still learning about activists like Ida B. Wells and Claudette Colvin, and uh, and eras like re- eras like Reconstruction, 1865 to 1877, and the Civil Rights Movement. Some teachers are also exercising a quiet restraint. Uh, I want to go to this clip here from uh, the readout with Joanne Reed from February 16th, uh, 2022. And they talked about um, uh, the GOP keeps stoking um, white rage. Okay, the GOP keeps stoking white white rage. And they talked about uh, critical race theory as well. Let's go to this clip, Shakita. begin the readout tonight with fighting fire with fire. The Republican Party, which is apparently consolidated around the idea of presenting no ideas, no policies, just resentment in order to drive out more of its base and try to retake power in Washington and around the country, importantly, without having to broaden that base in this midterm election year, is continuing its strategy of stoking rage and racialized cultural anxiety among white parents for political gain. Take Texas, which has already criminalized the teaching of the right's favorite current boogeyman, critical race theory of the 1619 Project in public grade schools. But after professors at the University of Texas resolved to defend the rights of college professors to teach about America's racial history, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick said that he wants to extend the purely theatrical ban on the thing that didn't even talk below law school to public universities noting completely unironically that banning teaching things is what's behind his Liberty Institute at UT Austin. But the real fights over education are at the K through 12 level, where we've seen conservative, mainly conservative, white parents whipped up into a frenzy over mask mandates and lessons on race and gender and sexuality. And it's leading to terrifying real-world consequences. A Reuters investigation detailed 
death threats and other harassing messages to school board members, including a letter sent to the home of a Loudoun County, Virginia board member and addressed to one of her adult children. It threatened to kill them both unless she resigned. The school board wars are happening all over this country. And again, it's not the grassroots effort that Republicans would have you believe. Dateline, Kansas City, Missouri. Okay, pa- pause it right there. We're coming up on the break. Just, just back it up about 20, 30 seconds. We'll pick it up there. Okay, listen to the After History Network show right here on the Antenna M Superstation Feature Radio. I'm Michael M. Hotel. We'll be back in a few minutes. Abundant Capital Group is a real estate investment company with over 20 years of experience in real estate. They specialize in two areas of real estate. One, they solve real estate problems with creative financing solutions that give the seller the most money for their property. And two, they show individuals how to get a higher rate of return on their investment capital with real estate note investing. If you are looking to sell or need to sell your property, here is what they provide. Market value offer, even if you have little or no equity, they typically pay all closing costs, which can be thousands of dollars. They close on a date of the seller's choosing, and the seller does not have to be out of the house at the time of closing. They take the property in an as-is condition, and the seller is not required to make any repairs. Give them a call or email them today for a free consultation and see how they can help you with your real estate needs. Call them at 973-475-8488. That's 973-475-8488. Visit their website, AbundantCapitalGroup.com. That's AbundantCapitalGroup.com. And email them at ACG at AbundantCapitalGroup.com. Follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Abundant Capital Group. The work that I do is larger than the fashion industry. It's larger than the art world. And I believe that I was born to bring newness into this world. I'm Kaima McIntyre. I'm 24 years old and I'm an artist. I create everything from paintings to jewelry design, metaphysical jewelry to be specific, and fashion design. why my prom dress went viral is because people needed it. Within a few days of going viral, Notori Naughton reached out to me. She's like, I saw your dress, can you make me a dress? I was equally as shocked to be asked by a celebrity to design their dress at the age of 17. That's just one person and the list just continues to go on to Janet Jackson, to Tyra Banks. It really hits home. That means that the discussion is happening on the grounds in real time. Welcome back to the African History Network show right here on 910 AM, the Superstation Future Radio. Okay, uh, we're going to go right back to this clip here from uh, the readout with Joanne Reed from February 16, 2022. And this is dealing with uh, the GOP continues to stoke rage, racialized cultural anxiety among whites for political gain. And this is tied into the uh, anti-critical race theory laws that we have seen passed in 14 states um, uh, since 2021. And that is also causing a problem with some, in some states with uh, the Black History Month lessons. Okay, let's go back to this clip, Shakita. The school board wars are happening all over this country. And again, 
It's not the grassroots effort that Republicans would have you believe. Dateline, Kansas City, Missouri. Today it's hard for me to believe that I have to stand up here and discuss what the material is being utilized within our school system. I am sure you have removed many of the old classics off the shelves because the writing that is no longer seen as appropriate, but you are refilling the shelves with disgusting child pornography. That woman reading her prepared talking points denied being, in, being inspired by other efforts at school board meetings. But the Kansas City Star noted that it was just another sign of a concerted national strategy against school boards, adding that in school board elections in the area last year, two out of the three conservatives who won seats were all backed by a New York-based PAC, the 1776 Project, which claims that schools are teaching anti-white ideology in the form of diversity and inclusion. Got that? You got to love the honesty. And this 1776 project is just one of the many dark money groups masquerading as grassroots. This one founded by a political commentator and conservative writer and raking in hundreds of thousands of dollars to try to take over school boards and make them more Republican and more right wing. And groups like this are doing this stuff because it works. Anxiety and anger are powerful motivations to vote. Tribalism, too. And somehow Democrats are finally sounding the alarm. According to Politico, the Dems' campaign arm in the House is warning that unless the party forcefully confronts alarmingly potent, their words, attacks on things like CRT and policing, they risk losing major ground to Republicans in this year's midterms. They add that these attacks are most effective with center-left voters, independents, and notably, with Hispanic voters. The overarching message, don't ignore these attacks. Hit back with a strong rebuttal. Ron DeSantis is doing his own version of the Republican culture wars in his so-called free state of Florida, just throwing it all at the wall, from criminalizing Black Lives Matter protests to banning mask mandates in schools to his don't-say-gay bill, deeming LGBTQ topics as inappropriate for kids, while weaponizing the very idea of wokeness which many white Americans embraced in the wake of George Floyd's murder. In Florida, that means DeSantis is attempting to legally prohibit public school teachers from teaching any lesson that might make white students, which is the implication, let's face it, feel discomfort about their race or gender. The group Equality Florida, which represents the interests of LGBTQ Floridians, is fighting back, however. Here is their latest ad. Joining me now is Nadine Smith, Executive Director of Equality Florida, and Matthew Dow, founder of Country Over Party and an MSNBC political analyst. Nadine, I want to start with you. Talk about these ads because they're, they're, they're very um, aggressive, and I actually think they're, they're really well-crafted in terms of messaging. What is the idea uh, behind putting these ads out there, and who are you trying to speak to? Well, you know, the message is really clear. What, despite Ron DeSantis's Orwellian use of free Florida, what he actually advocates for are video cameras in classrooms, microphones on teachers, uh, surveilling every conversation between teachers and students, an invasion even into the uh, doctor's office between parents, uh, their doctor, and their child when it comes to trans young people, 
And it is the opposite of freedom. It is about book banning. It is about silencing. It's about erasing history. And for us, it was important because I think no matter where you fall on the political spectrum, uh, it's, there's a big difference between I'm not going to pay to see that comedian or go to that concert. That's me and the free market making decisions. But when the government says you can't read this book, you can't learn about these topics, uh, this even reaches into the workplace where, uh, for example, under the Stop Woke Act, uh, companies can be told are, are being told an employee can sue you if you have, for example, a sexual harassment prevention training that causes someone to say, hey, you know what, that made me feel uncomfortable. That made me feel guilty. And so what they are really trying to do is to censor, to police, to invade, and to surveil us in, in all of these ways. And I think people are starting to push back. And it's, and it's, uh, it's a message that, that resonates because these are the words coming out of the mouth of the governor. I want cameras everywhere. I want your conversations to be listened to. And it's already having a chilling effect. Even before these bills have made their way through the process, we are seeing books being taken off uh, bookshelves. We are seeing rainbow safe space anti-bullying stickers being pulled down. The Florida Department of Education yanked down all LGBT inclusive anti-bullying resources. So people are seeing the real world impact of the DeSantis censorship and surveillance agenda. It, it is very overwhelming. I think that's the right term. Do we have a quick one? Let's see if we, if we have that. This is another Equality Florida ad. Let's just do we do we have it? Do we have it? I'm sorry. We do. Let's play. All right, Chelsea, you're up. Tell us about your hero. I have two heroes. My two moms. It's okay. You should be proud. Go ahead. Mrs. Thompson, please report to the front office. You know, and, and Matthew, it is truly only the free state of Florida in the Orwellian or, you know, handmaid's tale under his eye sense, right? I mean, the idea that the governor of, 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 a, of a theoretically state in a free country is saying, no, I want cameras in the, I want cameras to be watching your teachers at all times. I want everyone to be watched. I want you watching your neighbors. I want you suing your neighbors. And, and it's only in one direction, because let's just be clear. Ron DeSantis isn't concerned that black or brown or indigenous kids are going to feel uncomfortable. He's only concerned that white kids are going to feel uncomfortable or really their parents. Because I think the kids are smarter than that. But I want you to, to, right. to hey, talk pa- about Pause it right there, Shakita. Okay, we're coming up. Uh, okay, we're coming up on a hard break. Those watching on Facebook and YouTube, keep watching. We're going to keep going for a few more minutes. Be sure to visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can register for the online classes that I teach on Saturdays and Sundays. Um, ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school on Saturdays, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And you can, uh, we have the bundle pack. You can register for both classes for $120, regularly $230. If you've taken any of my online courses in the past, and I've been teaching them since 2017, email me at ahnshow at com. And you'll get a 50% discount. Okay. Email me at AHN show at African history network.com. And then, uh, also you can, uh, the, the, um, what I'm participating in on Tuesday with tech town, we'll post that on our website, African history network.com because it's a virtual, 
uh, seminar. So you can watch that. And then Wednesday, February 23rd, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm on this panel discussion for Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated dealing with reparations. Okay. Uh, those watching on Facebook and YouTube, keep watching. We're going to keep going for a few more minutes to finish this clip. Remember at the African History Network, we focus on, uh, oh, also you can support us, dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App, dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App. Also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. Remember, right now it's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. And we'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. Um, this article here, here's one of those references. Now, this just came out. This is from Politico. Uh, this came out February 15th. So I've seen a lot of stories uh, about this one. Uh, this is a really good article to look at, and it deals with uh, the DCCC did a GOP culture war, war tax alarmingly potent. These culture wars, as I've been saying, critical race theory, banning books, all this stuff. This is going to be huge for the GOP during the midterm elections. They don't have real policies to run on. So they're going to run on culture wars. And uh, this article from Politico deals with this and it warns about this. Uh, Let's see here. GOP culture war attacks alarmingly potent. DCCC warns the committee, the campaign committee, has been showing House Democrats polling about how to counter GOP attacks on various issues, how to how to count how to counter GOP attacks on various issues. Democrats' own research shows that some battleground voters think that the Democratic Party is too preachy, judgmental, and focused on culture wars according to documents obtained by Politico, is is the Republicans that are focused on the culture wars. See, this is where we have to be very, very strategic. Because one, if you look at Republicans voting records, this is why I tell you to go to congress.gov and all these bills that people say that they want, you can look at, you can look up the bills at congress.gov and you can see who voted for the bill and who voted against the bill. So if you're a member of the House of Representatives and you're two members of the U.S. Senate, keep voting for bills that you want and advocate for, why would you let them get voted out of office? Because most likely the person that's going to replace them, if it's a Republican, they're most likely going to vote against your own interests and vote against the bills that you advocate for. This is where we have to be strategic. And like actually read. Now, and, and, and the party's house campaign and the party's house campaign arm had a stark warning for Democrats. Unless they more forcefully confront the GOP's alarmingly potent culture war attacks from critical race theory to defunding the police they risk losing significant ground to Republicans in the midterms. Now, Democrats only have about a five or six seat uh, margin majority in the House. And it's a 50-50 tie in the Senate. People keep talking about the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. No Republicans voted for the damn bill. 
This is why if you go to congress.gov, you can look up George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, the 117th Congress. The bill passed the House of Representatives March 3rd, 2021, by a vote of 220 to 212. All the Republicans voted against the bill. And no Republicans helped write the damn bill. So I hear people keep talking about, we want this, we want that. They can't tell you how to get it. And when you look at Republicans voting records and all these bills of public knowledge, you can go and look and see who, who supported the bill, who wrote the bill. You can look and see who voted for the bill and voted against the bill. Republicans overwhelmingly keep voting for all these bills that we say we want. The John Lewis Voting Rights Act passed the House of Representatives August 28th. 2021 by a vote of 219 to 211. All the Republicans voted against the damn bill. And you're going to let them take back control of the House and the Senate? That's not even logical. They keep voting against your own interests. When, 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 when the vote happened in the, in, the, in the Senate, no Republicans voted for the Freedom to Vote Act, which was Joe Manchin's bill, or the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. All 50 Republicans voted against the bills. You had 16 Republicans, including Mitch McConnell, who voted for the reauthorization of the Voting Rights Act in 2006. All, all those 16 Republicans voted against the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, even though they talk about how great John Lewis was and how much they miss him. And you're gonna let you gonna let these people take back control of the Senate? That's not even logical. If you actually say that you, what you, all these bills, you say you want them. That's not even logical. They keep voting. The Republicans keep voting against the bills. This is why we have to be more strategic. Get past the simple Simon ass people on social media who have absolutely no clue what they're talking about. Can't explain none of this to you. Current Republican senators who voted to reauthorize the Voting Rights Act in 2006. Mitch McConnell. South Carolina, you got Chuck Grassley of Iowa, Richard Shelby, uh, Susan Collins of Maine, Richard Burr, North Carolina, uh, Senator John Inhofe. You got punk-ass Lindsey Graham of South Carolina, spineless Lindsey Graham, who, who attacked the $4 billion in debt relief for African-American farmers and Native American farmers and Latino farmers that was in the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan. That, was, th that part of the bill was put into the bill by people like Senator Raphael Warnock of Georgia, who's up for re-election. No Republicans in the House or the Senate voted for the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan. Even though some of, even though some, some Republicans in the House are taking credit for how it's helped save businesses in their districts. They're taking credit for it. None of them voted for the bill they, they, and they didn't help write the bill. That bill passed, I think it was March 6, 2021. The $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan. You got John Cornyn of Texas, Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee, Roy Blunt, Missouri, okay? Uh, Shelley Moore Capito, who's the other U.S. Senator from West Virginia, where Joe Manchin is, she's a Republican. These are, these are the 16 Republicans who are in the Senate right now who voted to reauthorize the Voting Rights Act in 2006, and none of them voted for the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. Or Joe Manchin's Freedom to Vote Act, because Joe Manchin said he could put together a voting rights bill and he could get Republicans to vote for it. None of them voted for it. Okay, so 
this is why it takes like strategy and actually doing like research and like reading. The Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, the DCC, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee is recommending a new strategy to endangered members and their teams hoping to blunt the kinds of GOP attacks that nearly erased their majority last election and remain a huge risk ahead of November. In presentations over the past two weeks, party officials and operatives use polling and focus group findings to argue Democrats can't simply ignore the attacks. That's true. They can't just simply ignore the attacks. You got to deal with them head on. You have to confront them head on from critical race theory to parents' involvement in education to policing. You have to, you have to confront these head on. You can't allow Republicans to control the narrative because Republicans are going to run on uh, Democrats proposed defunding police, but defunding police wasn't even part of the Democratic national strategy. That wasn't part of the Democratic platform defund the police. Yet Republicans are going to run on that. Republicans even tried to paint Joe Biden as being for defund the police, which is just asinine. But these are the games that they're playing, particularly when they're uh, uh, so in presentations over the past two weeks, party officials and operatives used polling and focus group findings to argue Democrats can't simply ignore the attacks, particularly when they're playing at a disadvantage. A generic ballot of swing districts from late January showed Democrats trailing Republicans by four points according to the polling. It wasn't all bleak though. The data showed that Democrats could mostly read loss to Republicans if they offered a strong rebuttal to the political hits. When faced with a defund the police attack, for instance, the presenters encouraged Democrats to reiterate their support for police. And on immigration, they said Democrats should deny support for open borders or amnesty and talk about their efforts to keep the border safe. If Democrats don't answer Republican hits, if Democrats don't answer Republican hits, the party operatives warned the GOP's lead on the generic ballot balloons to 14 points from four points, a dismal prediction for Democrats when the GOP only needs to win five seats. Yeah, five seats to take back control of the House of Representatives. They'll need five seats. But when voters heard a Democratic response to that hit, Republicans' edge narrowed back down to six points, giving candidates more of a fighting chance, especially since those numbers don't factor in Democrats going on the offensive which they have to do and they have to run on what they got accomplished, not what they didn't get accomplished, which is what President Obama told them when he just met with them in the last couple of weeks. $1.9 trillion American rescue plan, $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill. Okay. Run, run on, run on what you accomplished. Okay. Not what you didn't get accomplished. $46.5 billion for renters and rental assistance. Uh, child tax credit, which cut child poverty by 40%. Now they couldn't get it extended, but you can get it extended in 2023. If you go from 50 in the Senate to 55, 
then even if Joe Manchin votes against you, you still got 54 votes. Even if Kirsten Sinema votes against you, you got 53 votes. You can change the filibuster rules. If you go from 50 in the Senate to 55, even if Manchin and Sinema defect, you can still change the filibuster rules and get a lot of these bills passed and then get the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act passed. Um, okay, let's go back to this. So this is why it, it, this is why we have to deal with strategy. All right, I want to go back to this clip here from um, Read Out with Joanne Reed. Let's see, where do we leave off? I got to cue this up because um, okay, let's take it up here. There's a big difference between I'm not going to pay to see that comedian or go to that concert. That's me. And what he actually advocates for are video cameras in classrooms, microphones on teachers, uh, surveilling every conversation between teachers and students, an invasion even into the uh, doctor's office between parents, uh, their doctor and their child when it comes to trans young people. And it is the opposite of freedom. It is about book banning. It is about silencing. It's about erasing history. And for us, it was important because I think no matter where you fall in the political spectrum, uh, it's there's a big difference between I'm not going to pay to see that comedian or go to that concert. That's me and the free market making decisions. But when the government says you can't read this book, you can't learn about these topics, uh, this even reaches into the workplace where, uh, for example, under the Stop Woke Act, uh, companies can be told are, are being told an employee can sue you. If you have, for example, a sexual harassment prevention training that causes someone to say, hey, you know what, that made me feel uncomfortable. That made me feel guilty. And so what they are really trying to do is to censor, to police, to invade and to surveil us in, in all of these ways. And I think people are starting to push back. And it's, and it's, uh, it's a message that, that resonates because these are the words coming out of the mouth of the governor. I want cameras everywhere. I want your conversations to be listened to. And it's already having a chilling effect. Even before these bills have made their way through the process, we are seeing books being taken off uh, bookshelves. We are seeing rainbow safe space anti-bullying stickers being pulled down. The Florida Department of Education yanked down all LGBT inclusive anti-bullying resources. So people are seeing the real world impact of the DeSantis censorship and surveillance agenda. It is very Orwellian. I think that's the right term. Do we have uh, clip one? Let's see if we if we have that. This is another Equality Florida ad. Let's just are we, do we do. Okay. All right. So I can skip ahead where we did that. Uh, okay. Let me see. Of a of a, a theoretically state in a free country saying no, I want cameras in the I want cameras to be watching your teachers at all times. I want everyone to be watched. I want you watching your neighbors. I want you suing your neighbors. And and it's only in one direction because let's just be clear. Ron DeSantis isn't concerned that black or brown or indigenous kids are going to feel uncomfortable. He's only concerned that white kids are going to feel uncomfortable or really their parents. I think the kids are smarter than that. But I want you to, to, to talk about the, the irony here. There was a very smart person on the Twitters who pointed this out yesterday. I 
retweeted it. And I'm going to read a little bit of it now. The, in 2018, the conservative Washington Examiner made literally the opposite argument when black parents and the NAACP came forward and said it makes black kids uncomfortable to have uh, books like To Kill a Mockingbird and The Adventures of Huck Huckleberry Finn read in school because they have to hear the N-word being read out loud in class. This was the argument the Washington Examiner made at the time, revising or erasing history. Even artistic interpretations of time periods does a grave disservice to the very students whose quote unquote feelings they're trying to protect. So the argument on the right then is black kids must get. Hold on. I, I, I want to pull this. I just want to show this right quick. OK, I need to show this still picture because what Joanne Reed is pointing out here is that when it was African-American parents talking about uh, removing the book to kill a mockingbird from uh, from being used in the classroom because he uses the N-word so many times. You had white conservatives who weren't concerned about African-American, how African-American children felt, okay? So if we, if we look at this here, I'm going to pull this uh, graphic up. This is from the Washington Examiner. Uh, banning books. It, uh, uh, the name of the article, Banning Books, Especially to Kill a Mockingbird and the Adventures of Huckleberry Finn in the Name of Political Correctness is Absurd. So the Washington Examiner is a right-wing uh, nonsensical newspaper, BS. But look at this. This is what they wrote. This is what the Washington Examiner wrote back in 2018, February 8th, 2018, during Black History Month, by the way. This is what they wrote. Banning books, especially To Kill a Mockingbird and The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn in the name of political correctness is absurd. But you have, you have Republicans now push, pushing to ban books because they say they make white children feel guilty and they want to ban books that teach about racism and some books about the civil rights movement and Dr. King and LGBTQ issues because they talk about, uh, they talk about how uh, certain books can uh, make white, uh, white children feel guilty. But when it came to African-American children in 2018, they didn't care. Revising, or this is what the Washington Examiner wrote, revising or erasing history, even artistic interpretations of time periods does a grave disservice to the very students whose feelings they are trying to protect. So they're saying, so removing To Kill a Mockingbird and removing the visions of Huckleberry Finn from the classroom and African-American children feeling uh, 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 feeling hurt by hearing the N-word over and over again. They're saying ignore that. But when it comes to white children's feelings, they say, oh, we got to ban all these books because it can hurt white children's feelings. All right, let's go back to this clip here. The argument on the right then is, Black kids must get used to hearing the N-word used colloquially, and you need to suck it up and accept that. Let me back this up a little bit here. Okay. History. 
even artistic interpretations of time periods, does a grave disservice to the very students whose quote-unquote feelings they're trying to protect. So the argument on the right then is black kids must get used to hearing the N-word used colloquially, and you need to suck it up and accept that. But white kids can't even learn that the people who enslaved people were white and these slaves were black, because that will make them sad. Unpack that for us. Well, you know, it's it's fascinating what we're the period of time we're in, in in America. And I think it completely has everything to do with the fact that we're a multicultural, multiracial, diverse society and that white Christian males. I mean, you think about this for 150 years, white Christian males held 99 percent of the power positions of America for 150. Then for the next 75, white Christian males held 90 percent of the power positions in America. Today, that number is 80%. And white Christian males represent 28% of the country. And so it's not as if anybody is saying, no, 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 you only get 28%. It's as if they got 80% and that's not enough that, because it's fallen. And I think the Republicans are incredibly successful, and I'll agree with the Democratic Caucus about this, at speaking to the fear-based part of humans' brains, the reptilian part of our brain that we have evolved through that goes into a fear, goes into protection, goes, I'm going to lose something in the midst of this. And I think I fault the Democrats in the in this battle to a degree because the Republicans have launched a culture war. They don't like what the country is becoming. And the Democrats think they can win that culture war by talking about build back better or by, by talking about, you know, what are we going to do about inflation? When you're in a culture war, when somebody launches a war at you, you have to launch a war back at them about what kind of culture you believe in. Do you believe in a and present a, a opposite side culture, a culture that believes in everybody's dignity, that respects all, that believes in all men and women are created equal, that the Democrats have to get a hold of this and not shy away and say, well, let's not talk about this. They have to present and win. If we're going to be an American and American democracy that's multicultural, Democrats and all of us have to win the culture war in a presentation of what America should be in the 21st century and why that's a better vision. Yep. All right. So that's from the readout with Joanne Reed from, um, that is from February 16th, 2022. So check that out at msnbc.com. Now, uh, in the name of that clip is GOP continues, uh, to stoke rage, racialized cultural anxiety among whites for political gain. Now, this article that I have up here on the screen, we talked about this when this came out back in September 2021. Tennessee parents say some books make students feel discomfort because they're white. They say a new law backs them up. So when when it when it came to white children's feelings, they didn't say white children had to suck it up and get over it and things like this. The state, the Republican-led state legislatures passed laws to protect white children's little feelings. Okay, so read this article. We dealt with this in Robin Steinman, her dumbass Steinman. We we dealt with this when this uh, came out. But see, these are the culture wars that we're going to see in the 2022 midterm election. They're not going away. We have to confront them head on. And then when you look at uh, this article here from uh, this one here from NBCnews.com, this six, this 16 page uh, piece, which is uh, some really fantastic journalism. This one right here. 
critical race theory battle invades school boards with help from conservative groups. This talks about the funding behind the critical race theory battle behind the behind the, the, the parents showing up at the school board meetings, acting a damn fool, de, de, uh, demanding that books be banned, all this stuff. Uh, these conservative parents running for school board positions, pushing out uh, certain people on the school boards, taking them over, then banning books, that whole agenda. This this 16 page expose from NBC News breaks this stuff down. Critical race theory battle invades school boards with help from conservative groups in towns nationwide, well-connected conservative activists and Fox News and Fox News have ramped up the tension in fights over race and equity in schools. This is from June 15, 2021, okay? Politics is the legal distribution of scarce wealth pond resources and the writing of laws, statutes, ordinances, amendments, and treaties, their adoption, interpretation, and enforcement. And just very quickly here, um, it talks about uh, Jeff Porter, superintendent of a wealthy suburban school district in Maine, had no idea that his community was about to become part of a national battle when the, when when in the summer of 2020 a father began accusing the school district of trying to indoctrinate his children by teaching critical race theory now critical race theory is not taught in K through 12 to uh to to, to uh superintendent Jeff Porter the issue was straightforward the district the school district had denounced white supremacy in the wake of George Floyd's murder by police, but did not teach critical race theory. The school district did not teach critical race theory, the academic study of racism's pervasive impact. They just denounced white supremacy, okay? The parent got upset. Oh, you trying to indoctrinate my child. Well, what have you been indoctrinating your child with if you have a problem with denouncing white supremacy? But the parent, Sean McBrarity, uh, grew increasingly disgruntled, and soon he connected with no left turn in education, no left turn in education, which is a rapidly growing national group that supports parents uh, that supports parents as they fight against lessons on systemic racism. That action turned a heated that action turned a heated conflict with the school board into one that soon drew national national attention, mobilized by a new, increasingly coordinated movement with the backing of major conservative organizations and media outlets, with the backing of major conservative organizations and media outlets. So these hundred is 165 organizations at the time that this article was written. It's 165 organizations that are organizing these parents at, at the local level to, to go act a fool at these school board meetings, run for school board office, take over these school boards, 
then start banning books and controlling what can be taught in schools. And this is going to be a lightning rod in the 2022 midterm election. And it's going to get a lot of these white conservatives out voting against our own interests. Now, the question is, what the hell are we going to do? Conflicts like this are playing out in cities and towns across the country amid the rise of at least 165 local and national groups that aim to disrupt lessons disrupt lessons on race and gender, according to an NBC News analysis of media reports and organizations' promotional materials. Now, it was 165 organizations back in June 15, 2021. How many is it today? Now, where is our counter movement to this? We have to have a counter movement to fight against this initiative. It's not going to go away. It's going to get worse. Read the rest of this article. I've got work to do. Critical race theory battle invades school boards with help from conservative groups. See, a lot of these school boards, we need to run for these positions and block a lot of this stuff taking place. We have to leverage our economics to help finance a lot of our organizations to fight against this stuff. All right. Um, if you like this type of information, also, you can, oh, you know, we got one more story. Uh, Malcolm X and his home in Inkster, where he used to live. That's Detroit Free Press. We'll go to that in just a second. That's the last story that I got to get out of here. Um, if you like this type of information, you can support the African History Network, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, dollar sign, the AHN show through Cash App, also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. We have six days a week. This helps us keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting, pay some of the bills. We have the inf I'll post the link here, but we have the information at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Uh, we have the link for uh, Cash App. Now, this is our official Cash App account, dollar sign, the AHN show, S-H-O-W. Uh, when you go to it, it says Michael, it shows my picture there, and we have the link right here on our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. These other ones here are fake uh, fake African History Network cash app accounts. I did not set those up. That's somebody impersonating us. This this is these other ones are not us. Uh, also, we have the yellow donate button for PayPal. Also, um, we're here Monday through Friday, 11 p.m. to midnight Eastern Standard Time, and Sundays 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, click here to listen to audio podcasts of the African History Network show. I'll be uploading some more today and tomorrow. Uh, you can click here to read articles that I've written. If you want me to do a presentation for your group or organization, email me at ahnshow at africanhistorynetwork.com, ahnshow at africanhistorynetwork.com. African-American business owners, you can also email us as well. You can, you can advertise with the African History Network. We have three new advertising packages, uh, current promotion for a few more days, buy one month, get two months free. And then um, online class I teach Sunday, uh, Saturdays, Ancient Kipta Moors and the Ma'afa. Understanding the transatlantic sleep trade where they didn't teach you in school. Do that at 4 p.m. We have the bundle pack. You can register for the classes here. Okay, that's at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. All right, uh, we're going to post that link here. I want to go to this last story. Uh, okay, so here's the link for uh, the bundle pack of the two online courses I teach. I want to go to this last story here. This is dealing with um, Malcolm X 
and uh, the house he lived in in Inkster, Michigan. That's for those who don't know, Inkster is a suburb of uh, Detroit. Okay, Inkster, Michigan, and the house has become. Um, it's been um, added to the National Register of Historic Places. It's been added to the National Register of Historic Places. This is a uh, article from the Detroit News. I think the Free Press had one also because I saw a couple articles on this. This is from uh, February 1st, 2022. And I did not get a chance to really talk about it uh, back when I originally saw the piece. So I said uh, I was going through pulling together content for today's show. I said we'll definitely talk about it on today's show. Um, Inkster home of Malcolm X gets on National Register of Historic Places. Now, we know Malcolm um, also lived in um, um, Lansing, Michigan, and East Lansing, Michigan as well. Lansing and East Lansing. Uh, all right, this is freezing up over. Just a second here. I've got to refresh the screen. This is freezing up. Hold on, stand by. I have to refresh back okay good the screen was freezing up on me I had to refresh it okay let's try this one more time uh this is an article from the detroit news uh so in the 1950s uh malcolm x lived at this with his brother wilford wilford little we know that the uh nation of islam was founded in detroit in the early 1930s also If we look at this piece here, oh man, I hate when it does this just a second here. Okay, uh, the former home of civil rights leader uh, Malcolm X has been listed on the National Register of Historic Places. The Michigan Economic Development Corporation announced on Tuesday, uh, and this article is from February 1st, um, 2022. The announcement comes as the nation celebrates the annual observance of Black History Month in the United States and three weeks before the 57th anniversary of the assassination of, uh, of Malcolm X. Okay, let's... Uh, who joined the uh, Nation of Islam in 1958. Okay, so this is a picture of the house in Inkster, Michigan. You see the banner on the side. This was the home of civil rights leader Malcolm X. Uh, the home at 4336 William Street in Inkster, Michigan, shown on September 16, 2021, is where Malcolm X lived in the early 1950s during his conversion to Islam. Uh, uh, the home has been listed on the National Register of the uh, Historic Places in uh, uh, the, uh, the Michigan Economic Development Corporation announced uh, Tuesday. Okay, so uh, let me see. Let me scroll down here. Okay, so we got that. Uh, Malcolm lived in the Inkster home in 1952. 
along with his brother Wilfred Little and his family when he left prison after serving time for burglary in Massachusetts. It is at the William Street home where Malcolm X made a full transformation into the Islamic faith. Um, Inkster resident Aaron Sims, you know, he was introduced to Islam when he was in prison by his siblings. It wasn't, um, it wasn't Brother Baines because that's Brother Baines is a fictitious character they created for the Malcolm X movie. Brother Baines didn't exist. Brother Baines was probably a composite character, partly probably of John Bembry because John Bembry was a older African-American male prisoner who uh, told Malcolm that uh, he, he encouraged Malcolm to take classes and start reading even before Malcolm was exposed to Islam in prison. John Bembry was a, a friend of Malcolm's in prison and he encouraged him to develop his mind, take classes, read, things like this. So Inkster resident Aaron Sims, who saved the home from the wrecking ball after it was uh, for a time listed on the city's demolition list, said Monday, the uh, National Registry of historic places designation is the late is the latest step toward revitalizing the once abandoned home into a museum highlighting the life of Malcolm X into a museum highlighting the life of Malcolm X. Now the museum will be uh, dedicated to the life and work of Malcolm X and run by the Inkster based nonprofit organization, uh, Project We Hope, the nonprofit, uh, Inkster based nonprofit project We Hope, Dream, and Believe, which is focused on educating and empowering young men and women. Now, Sims said his organization has purchased three lots, two next door and another across the street, where they plan to build a community center and a job training youth tutorial center the renovation and plans for the museum recently received three hundred and eighty thousand dollar three hundred they recently received a three hundred eighty thousand dollar grant from the national park service african-american civil rights program we are working hard toward rehabilitating and renovating the malcolm x house with the goal of transforming the home, with the goal of transforming the home into a museum that will showcase Malcolm's life history with special focus on his humans, uh, human and civil rights activism, as well as his relationship to the city of Inkster, which he referenced in one of his final speeches. And Sims is the executive director of Project We Hope, uh, Dream and Believe. Okay, that's Aaron Sims. Here's a uh, close-up of the banner. This was the home of civil rights leader, uh, Malcolm X, 1952 to 1962. The banner is donated by the Sims family. All right. Now, in September 
of 2021, Atala Shabazz, the eldest daughter of uh, Malcolm X and Dr. Betty Shabazz, praised the effort to preserve the history of her father and uncle Wilfred Little during comments to the State Historic Preservation Review Board. Okay, read the rest of this here. This is from Detroit News, DetroitNews.com. Inkster Home, Inkster, Michigan Home of Malcolm X gets on National Register of Historic Places. Okay, this is from February 1st, 2022. The panel discussed the, 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 the business seminar, the Black Business Seminar on Tuesday. I have to put that on the website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We've got the seminar where I'm speaking for Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated on Wednesday, February 23rd. It's already up there with the link to register for the seminar. It's free to register for that. And then uh, also the uh, Michael M. Hotep 15 DVD bundle pack, 15 uh, lecture bundle pack. We have that on the homepage of our website. It's 15 lectures. Actually, you have to get 16 of them. It's our Black History Month uh, DVD bundle pack. It's on sale $100. Includes uh, actually 16 of my lectures, including one. It's about a three-hour presentation that deals with the origins of African-American History Month, okay? So you get a lot in this one. This is going to keep you busy. It's three of my lectures dealing with the film Black Panther. You get Great African Women in History, The Mothers of Civilization. You get that one included as well. You get this one here dealing with the uh, the origins of uh, African-American History Month and Dr. Carter G. Woodson. Um, this is uh, Breaking the Change, Why We Celebrate Black History Month. So I do a lot in that presentation. Okay. So that's all in this uh, bundle pack. And we'll post the link uh, on our website also, African History Net. We'll post the link here on the thread the broadcast. Get one I did with Dr. David M. Hotep, who wrote the book, The First Americans Were Africans Documented Evidence. You get this one here, this four-hour presentation, Great African Women in History of the Mothers of Civilization. Okay, so that's all uh, together. So we have that. And if you want that in... Um, if you want that in digital download format, also email me at ahnshow at africanhistorynetwork.com. All right, but that's the link for um, uh, to order it in DVD format. All right, we have to get out of here. Remember, the African History Network, we focus on educating, empowering, and, and inspiring people of African descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. We're kind of forever. And we'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace. All right, thanks for watching. The work that I do is larger than the fashion industry. It's larger than the art world. And I believe that I was born to bring newness into this world. I'm Kaima McIntyre. I'm 24 years old and I'm an artist. I create everything from paintings to jewelry design, metaphysical jewelry to be specific, and fashion design. 
The only reason why my prom dress went viral is because people needed it. Within a few days of going viral, Notori Naughton reached out to me. She's like, I saw your dress, can you make me a dress? I was equally as shocked to be asked by a celebrity to design their dress at the age of 17. That's just one person and the list just continues to go on to Janet Jackson, to Tyra Banks. It really hits home. That means that the discussion is happening on the grounds in real time. iRedify is a black-owned digital platform that showcases black and brown cultures and people. The books on the platform are written by African-American authors, Afro-Caribbean authors, African authors, and so much more. Kids 14 and under can read ebooks, listen to audiobooks, and complete learning activities. Kids can even write in the books digitally. Get unlimited access to everything on the platform for only $8.99 a month at iRedify.com. Sign up for your membership today. Jeanette Davis is a well-established author with six published books. Black Survival in White America from Past History to the Next Century was published in 1995 and it delves into the history of African Americans before slavery up to contemporary times. The Great Divide Between Blacks and Whites was released in 2008 and her autobiography, Black Just Like My Mama, was published in 2010. Soulful Journey, The Business of Beings, was released in December 2021 and her two latest books, Echoes from the Heart, Love Throws Poetry, and Master Being Human were both published in January of 2022. Jeanette Davis' writings delve deeply into the psyche of black people from ancient to contemporary times. She cuts no corners and leaves no stones unturned in relating truth, letting the chips fall where they may on both African and European doorsteps. Order Jeanette Davis's books today at Amazon.com. Search for Jeanette Davis and get to know her work today. STEM Forward, helping our community find their place in the emerging fields of science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Join us for our monthly live stream on our website, stemforwardedu.org. Watch, subscribe, share. Also join our mailing list to stay up to date with STEM resources and opportunities. STEM Forward, the future is now. Watch, subscribe, share. Soul in Motion, celebrating 38 years in the arts. This energetic ensemble of dancers and drummers was started by percussionist Michael Friend and is led by choreographer, associate director Pam Lassiter. Based in the Washington, D.C. area, Soul in Motion is now accepting bookings for Black History Month, Juneteenth, and summer festivals in 2022. Soul in Motion is also available for more intimate events like naming ceremonies and weddings. To find out more or book your date, call 240-452-1349 or send an email to info at soulinmotion.org. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Soul in Motion, celebrating our history, our culture, our future. Soul in Motion. Theater, African dance, and drumming 
since 1984. Mental health and well-being have long been a taboo subject in the so-called African-American community. So I enlisted the help of mental health experts, thought leaders, and activists to help kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and heal from post-traumatic slave syndrome. We experience trauma a lot of times um, on a subconscious level. So sometimes something happens to us and we know that it's traumatizing, but we don't really recognize the extent of the trauma. They are emotionally constipated and emotionally obese because again, all the things that we experienced in childhood, we suffocated and we stored in our body. It's a time to kill and it's a time to heal. We've been haunted by the ghost of Willie Lynch and his doctrine of self-refueling trauma for too long. It's time for Willie to die. Die, Willie. It stops for the ghost LOXD block. It's time to kill the ghost of Willie Lynch and get out the matrix. Check out my man Ron Life Speaks at DieWilly.com. Follow the story Skeeter Hawk as attorney Ben Brooks rediscovers his Gullah Geechee heritage and finds romance along the Gullah Trail and the Sea Islands. Jilted by his fiancée who refused to marry him, Ben Brooks goes back home to Gullah country. There, the Gullah people come to call him Skeeter Hawk. While rediscovering his heritage, Skeeter Hawk unravels dark family secrets. A beautiful childhood friend, Fulla, becomes his guide as they travel the Gullah Trail from North Carolina to the Sea Islands in South Carolina in search of more answers. Ben Brooks falls in love with her and becomes torn between her and his former fiance who wants to rekindle their romance. He also deals with a premonition that one of his enemies is pursuing him, providing a backdrop for mystery, romance, intrigue, and suspense in this page-turning novel called Skeeter Hawk from author Savvy Stone. Order your copy today at SavvyStone.com. That's S-A-B-Y, SavvyStone.com. What does self-care mean to you? To us, it's an opportunity to reconnect with nature. A chance to create something remarkable. At Sage and Elm Apothecary, our handcrafted skin care and household products immerse you in Earth's sweetest nectar, connecting you to nature in a way you never imagined. See for yourself and visit us at sageandelmapothecary.com. <laughs> 